welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. chapter 2, Matthew 2, as we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew in a series I've entitled, The King and His Kingdom. The Gospel of Matthew portrays Jesus in his role as king, and so we'll be going through that and studying that. Today's text is a, is a big one for that. For Christmas this year, we did a series that I really enjoyed though uh, the last couple of messages of it were a little rough on my voice, but I managed through it, and we did the, the songs of Christmas. And we took several of the most popular Christmas songs and talked about the theology that was being taught in those songs. In today's text, you know, there's certain Christmas songs that we don't do here in the church, and uh, today's text is one of those songs. It, is, it relates to one of those songs because there's some things in it that are just not right. And so we don't sing those songs. And I'm not talking about Frosty the Snowman. That's not the one. We'll get to that one later. So we're going to debunk a popular Christmas song. We're also going to look at the main part of the message. That's just a little part of it. The main part of the message is to look at the response of three different groups of people to the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ is a big deal, right? Can we, anybody agree that the birth of Christ was a big deal? It's a, you know, we you know, kind of changed everything when Jesus was born. And there were different responses at the time or shortly thereafter, and we're going to look at those. You know, what, you know, what did it mean to those people when the newborn Savior of the King, Savior King of the world was born? And we should all be able to find ourselves in one of the three responses. The way that we respond to Christ today can be found in one of those three. One of those three is the right response, which means the other two are what? Wrong. Wrong. Thank you for saying out loud like you really believe. So we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to reveal to us if maybe our heart isn't in the right place as it relates to Christ and his birth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to be here with your people. We pray for a blessing on this time. And as we're going to look at these different responses and look at this, this interesting account of the wise men, I pray that you'd open our hearts to hear and to receive whatever you might want to say to your church. I pray for myself, Lord God, that you would allow, that you would use my tongue to minister your truth to your people. And I pray, Lord, that you would use it to change hearts today. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In chapter one, we saw, we started with the genealogy of Jesus <clears throat> to prove, and it was uh, Matthew proving to the Jewish people that, that he was descended from David, 
the, the king of, the, or the, first, the first or the second king of Israel, and the one through whom the Messiah would come. The Bible talks over and over again, points to David as one of the primary um, ancestors of this savior king that would come into the world. So they, he did that in the beginning. And then we also looked at the end of chapter one, the account of Jesus' birth from the perspective of Joseph, Mary's husband, and that was interesting. We're going to see a little bit more of Joseph in this text today. So some time passes between chapter one and chapter two, possibly as much as two years. You want to have, depending on how you see it, there's lots of different ways to debate it, but some time passes. So we'll pick it up in chapter two, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. The first character that's mentioned in this is Herod. Herod was a half-Jew, half-Idumean, and he had been appointed by the Romans to rule over Israel during this time. Uh, he was a terrible person. I mean, you, you can't say any, well, you might say, oh, well, he helped build the temple for the Jews. Okay, but he was doing it for his own reasons. He was a terrible person. He, uh, uh, just some of his atrocities, he executed his wife, his mother-in-law, and three of his sons. Caesar Augustus had said at one point that it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of his sons. And as bad as all that is, what he does in this text today is the worst of all. Terrible, terrible. So Herod gets a visit from wise men in the east. Now, that popular Christmas song we're going to debunk is We Three Kings. Familiar with it, right? We've all heard it. Probably sung it lots of times. A couple problems with that song. First off, we don't actually know that there were three of them. Bible doesn't say there were three. The number three comes from the number of gifts that are mentioned in this account. And even that is questionable whether or not it was three. We know it was at least two because it's written in the plural, but it could have been who knows how many more than just that. So that's the first problem. So the number three comes from that. The second problem is they're not kings. Nowhere in the Bible does it refer to them as king. It refers to them actually using the Greek word magoi, which we get a, a, a transliteration, the word magi, which we get the English word magician from. And so these are men who are involved in these different mysterious arts and things. They studied astrology, the movement of heavenly bodies, and they studied ancient texts, and, and they studied all ancient texts uh, from all cultures, and so they had all these diverse belief systems, and so, um, you know, and they did all these weird, you know, things like with who knows what to figure out what the future, uh, just a really diverse group of people that used all sorts of ways of understanding the world and that they lived in. And one of the things they, they really focused on is, is the heavens, the things that were going on in the heavens. 
and when a spectacular phenomenon happened in heaven, it was a sign to them that something important happened. Well, these guys, which many believe they either were in Babylon or Persia, or, or they were Persians in Babylon, who knows what, somewhere in that area out there in the east, that they had access to all these different ancient texts, including ancient Hebrew text. And so many like the, like the you know, Daniel's text and all these different things that were written in ancient times. And so, so they had all these different things, so they had all these things on, and something happened. A star appeared. And, and something based on their studies and their understanding led them to make this very long journey from wherever they were, from the east to Jerusalem, which is many hundreds of miles, 700 miles, maybe 1,000 miles, a long way. And they may have been responding to this text in Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, which is another name for Israel, which is another name for the people of Israel. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so it's very likely that they're responding to that. Now, we don't know specifically why they came. They just saw this star, and they recognized it meant something. And so they make this long journey to Jerusalem, hundreds of miles, taking maybe months to get there. And they weren't coming just to check it out. They weren't coming to take selfies. They weren't coming to, you know, to post it on their Instagram or Twitter. They came to worship. There's, there are so many radical things in this, in this chapter. But, but that did present a problem. These three guys, or three guys, these guys, just, I just bought into the, modern view. These guys show up, and I'm probably going to make that mistake several times. Just get over it. These guys show up, and, and they go to Herod, who is a terrible, petty tyrant, and say, hey, we understand the king of the Jews has been born, and we have come to worship him. Well, if you're a petty tyrant, that's bad news for you, right? And so they come to Herod. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, it, there's no, no way to imagine that Herod was a believer in God. Just if you look at anything about how he lived his life and the way he interacted, he was, he was not a God believer. But he knew enough about, about Jewish you know, history and, and theology to know that a Christ was promised to the nation of Israel. And he knew that was a threat to him. And Herod would put down any threat to his rule with great violence. Now, we might understand his response coming from a person like that. It's the chief priests and the scribes that just is remarkable to me. Their response is just amazing. The wise men come, and they say they're there to worship the king of the Jews. It's the same as if they were saying, we have come to worship the Jewish Messiah. We have come to worship your Messiah who has been born. 
Now, why would that trouble them? Why would that trouble the chief priests and the scribes? Herod was bothered by anything that would threaten his rule. It's very likely the problem. We see this manifest actually when Jesus starts his ministry and starts to, to you know, to, to describe the gospel in force. The chief, scri- chief priests and the scribes were threatened and bothered by anything that would, that would come against their influence over the people. They had great influence, and the Messiah might take some of that away. So Herod asked the question, so where is he going to be born? So verse 5, so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Started this message, I mentioned three responses to Jesus, and we're going to look at all three of them. That would make sense since I mentioned it like that. Um, And the first one is indifference. The wise men asked the question, where was, was the Jewish Messiah born? They had come to worship him, and the chief priests and the scribes know exactly where he's going to be born. They knew it. They probably didn't have to refer to their, you know, to their, you know, to their, you know, their topical Bibles or their, you know, they didn't have to, you know, Google it. They knew exactly where the Messiah was going to be born. And they quoted the verse. He was going to be born in the city that King David was born, in Bethlehem. I can still remember my life before Christ. My attitude toward Christ was indifference. I just didn't care. Kelly spent countless hours trying to convince me that God was real, the Bible was true, and that I needed Jesus. And you know what? I didn't care. I just didn't care. I was indifferent to it. Didn't bother me that she had Jesus. I just didn't care enough to have Jesus. I didn't need him, or at least that's what I thought. God eventually got a hold of me, right? Can we say hallelujah, he did? The difference between my indifference and that of the scribes and the, and the, and the chief priests is that they said they cared about God and the scriptures. I would never have said that. My indifference was sinful, no question about it. It was based in willful ignorance, I didn't want to know, didn't care to know, and it didn't matter to me, or so I thought. Their indifference is exceedingly wicked because they said they believed God. They said they worshiped God. They acted like they worshiped God. And these, these wise men show up, and, and you know, it says the whole, all of Jerusalem was troubled by this. All of Jerusalem was, was all worked up over the fact that these wise men had come to seek this, this Messiah, the Savior King. They're all worked up. They had come looking for the Messiah, and it doesn't appear that even one person traveled the five miles down to Bethlehem to find out if it was true. Not one John 1.11 says this, he came to his own 
and his own did not receive him. Jesus came to the Jews. He was born of a Jew. He was born in Israel. He was born, he said, he said over, several times, I have come for the Jews. The church today, sadly, is not much better than the people of Jerusalem. It doesn't surprise me at all that unbelievers in this world are indifferent to Jesus. That doesn't surprise me. I recognize, I acknowledge my own, my own history in that respect. What is shocking is how indifferent to Jesus the church is. Not this church, because this is a good church, right? Say hallelujah, this is a good church. I hope. But churches who put social issues over Christ, before Christ, care more about climate change and politics and whatever else rather than whether or not somebody knows Jesus or not. Churches who are not faithful to teach God's word. And it's not just churches. Believers show their indifference to God, to Jesus, when they don't pray. Not praying is an indifference to God. Not reading their Bibles. Not regularly attending church. All of these are signs of indifference. And I have to wonder, what will they say for themselves when they stand before Jesus and look at the, at the wounds in his hand and feet and side. And he asked them the question, why didn't you care? Why didn't you care about me? We prove we care by what we do. These religious leaders who said so regularly that they cared about God, they worship God, and yet the, the, the person they're waiting for, the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. These guys come and say he's been born. Well, at the very least, you might want to go send somebody to check, right? I mean, wouldn't that make sense to us? It doesn't appear that they did. Herod is going to show us the next response. Indifference is the first then verse seven, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. That's gonna be important later on. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Yeah, right, whatever. It's not what he wants. Herod's response to the birth of the Messiah, to the birth of Christ is hostility. Herod knew at some level that Christ, that, that what the wise men were saying, that there was some truth to it. He knew enough about Jewish theology to know about a Messiah. And that was a threat to him. That was a threat to his place in the world. Now, people in our culture today are hostile toward Christianity. Have you ever noticed that? Have you noticed that, that there's a, a growing hostility toward Christianity? They see it as a threat 
to their, their way of life, their way of living, to their, their desire to make the world in their own image. If it wasn't a threat, they would just ignore us and ignore the church. You know, I, I think of a, I think of a, you know, if, I, if I'm around and a, and a chihuahua is, is barking and snarling at me, whatever. I don't see that as a threat. But if a German shepherd is doing it, okay, I'm paying attention to that one. If, if we weren't a threat to this world, to its way of looking at things, they wouldn't care about us. But they do. They're hostile toward us for a reason. Because what we believe is true. And at some level, they know it's true. And it bothers them. And we're gonna see how Herod's hostility will manifest a little bit later in this text. Verse nine. When they heard the king, they departed, these are the wise men, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. There's a miraculous element to this star. Don't have time to get into it, but there's just something about it that makes it unique and special and not just a star, in my humble opinion. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way." The wise men, they follow the star, they get to where Jesus is, and upon seeing the child, they fall down, they bow down, and worship him. One of the unique elements of this text, this is the first account in the Bible of anybody worshiping Jesus. We think about that for a second. Who are these guys? In my opinion, this may be one of the greatest expressions of faith in the Bible. As we see these guys, these, these wise men, fell down and worshiped him, this act of great humility in, in to a, a, this, this young child that is in a humble family, in a humble house, and yet these, these wise men who are exceedingly wealthy and influential come and worship him. They had come from a great distance, Babylon maybe, at a great expense and danger to them. Herod, the chief priests, and the scribes and the people of Jerusalem, five miles away. And they don't even bother to go check. These wise men are Gentiles, they're not Jews. These non-Jews are the first people the Bible records as worshiping Jesus. There's a huge message in that. They come to worship the king of the Jews. Reminds us what Jesus said, or what the angel said to the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth in Luke 2, verses 10 and 11. Then the angel said to them, 
do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ the Lord. Now, it, we are told that the, that the shepherds did go to see the Christ, but it doesn't say they worshiped him. First account we have of worship is right here in this text. After worshiping him, they open up their treasure box, which is what the word treasures actually literally means treasure box, and they bring out gold. Gold, all of these gifts have a, a symbolic interpretation to them. Gold was a, a symbol of royalty and wealth and prosperity. They're giving a gift, it's a gift for a king, and they, and they give it to the king of the Jews, ultimately the king of kings. Frankincense was something that was used, a sweet perfume that was used in the making of incense. And it would be burned in the, the temple, was being burned in the temple as an offering to God, symbolic of the prayers of God people and the priestly order and their ministry. So it's given to Christ as our high priest. He would ultimately be described in Hebrews. And then myrrh, the most remarkable of the three gifts is myrrh. It was used, it was, a, uh, it was used for making ointments, almost exclusively for the preparing of dead bodies, for covering over the smell of the decay of dead bodies. Here it is birth, this gift that's given, symbolizing what he had come to do. Jesus didn't come to be king. He came to be the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And so even here, you know, in this text that's reminding us of his birth, it's already looking forward to his death. And any time we think of his death, we need to remember the significance of that. He died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Somebody say hallelujah. We can be free of our sins. Not just that, not just, he didn't just die. What did he do next? He rose from the grave, right? Somebody say, yeah, he did. What does that mean for us? that we're gonna rise. For those who believe, death is not the end. That we have hope of eternal life in heaven because Jesus came. He was born a human. He lived a life and then he died for our sins, was raised again, ascended back to heaven and will come back to get us. Somebody say, Jesus come quickly. Yeah, under your breath. Okay, I get it. I get it. Gee, you know, here, here's the deal that we, we, we read these things and we've got to remind ourselves that there's a reason why they're in here. I, had to, I, I thought about this a while. Why, why, why do we care about these wise men? Why is that in there? Because it reminds us that, that the people of Israel were almost completely oblivious to the reality of the birth of the Messiah. Shepherds knew about it. Shepherds believed. They told people about it, but hey, they're shepherds. Nobody listens to them. And these wise men show up from the east at great expense with great grandeur. Who knows what that looked like when they showed up? These Gentiles coming to worship the Messiah King. You, couldn't, you could not ignore the fact that something is happening. And I believe, my belief is that, I don't know how he did it, I don't know how God did it, but God kind of tapped on the shoulders of these guys, hey, I want you to go to Jerusalem. 
you need to wake my people up. And so he did. Well, God already knew what Herod would do when he found out where the Messiah would be, and so he sent these guys home a different way. And then Mary's husband, Joseph, is brought back into the account in verses 13, starting verse 13. Now when they had departed, that would be the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. At this time in history, at that time in history, there, there were colonies of Jews in Egypt. They had, they had gotten there for they, they, regularly. They were going down back and forth. And so there were colonies of Jews there. And so God sends Joseph and Mary and Jesus down to Egypt to protect them from Herod. And Joseph and Mary were not wealthy people. They were poor. They're, they're, they're very humble people. And so God... One of the things he did here is he gave them the resources they needed to make the trip and to stay down in Egypt. The, the, the gifts that they were, the gold, the frankincense and myrrh, they would have used, probably sold to others, and they would have had the money to stay down there. There's an interesting thing here. He says, stay there until I bring you word. Oh, I wish, I wish we all could figure that part out, that one out. This is a word of wisdom for all of us, that, that we ought to stay where God told us, told us to go until he tells us to go somewhere else. You know, we, we sometimes, you know, we, we decide, you know what, I need to go. I need to do. I need whatever. And we, and, we, and we get up and we do something different. And then we kind of get out in the wilderness in the dark and we're going, okay, what do I do now? And, and, you know, sometimes we need to just stay right where God told us to go until he tells us to go somewhere else. Do what God told you to do until he tells you to do something different. Well, at some point, getting back to our text, Herod figures out that the wise men aren't coming back. That would have been kind of interesting to watch that whole thing play out. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then it was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod's hostility turns to rage and 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 brutal rage at that. Bethlehem wasn't a huge city. You know, the estimates are that, that 20 to 40 boys were murdered, slaughtered in this, in this event, and it could have been more depending on how far outside of Bethlehem he reached. There's no way to imagine what that was like. God sent Jesus and his family to Egypt to protect them. But ultimately, that's not where they were supposed to. He was supposed to grow up. So we'll continue, verse 19. 
Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. After Herod died, his kingdom was divided into three parts. The part over Judea was ruled by his son Archelaus. He was as bad as his father was. And so God warned them, and he, they moved up to the area of Galilee into the city of Nazareth. Now, one of the things that struck me about this count, account is that God speaks to Joseph three times just in this chapter. Three times. You know, that says to, something to me about Joseph's faith. God speaks, Joseph does. And that speaks to, should speak to all of us as well. If you hear God speaking, either through a dream or through his word or through his people, you probably ought to listen and respond. We know that Jesus grew up, according to this text, in the city of Nazareth, fascinating account there. You know, people don't, you know, the, we, you know, the, the account where, you know, can any good come out of Nazareth? Um, well, the answer is yes, because Jesus did. So, you know, we'll say yes to answer that question. The, the name Nazareth, its meaning is city of the branch. In Isaiah 11, 1, 700 years before Christ was born, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. It's believed that Nazareth was named after this verse. And then Jesus ends up there almost like God arranged all of it because he did. Nazareth was interesting, and the reason why it was sometimes despised because it was ethnically diverse. It wasn't a pure Jewish community. It was in the center of crossroads, and so there were cultures coming in from all over the place, Gentiles and Jews mixing together, major trade route. And so Jesus grew up around Jews and Gentiles. In Isaiah 42, 6, it says this, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. This is a messianic prophecy, meaning he was speaking about the Christ when he came. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Right from the very beginning, though God sent Jesus to the Jews and he was called to minister specifically to the Jews during his earthly ministry, it was never just to the Jews. It was always meant, God always meant to reach all of humanity. In the great Abrahamic covenant and promise, he said, I will, you know, I, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All families. Everything in Christ's life was ordained by God for the work that God prepared for him to do. Every detail, all of these little details, we understand they are pointing to the work that God called Christ to while he was on this earth. And there are no accidents, no mistakes, no weird, you know, oh, oops, things. It was all ordained. The wise men came to worship the Savior King. 
the chief priests and scribes were indifferent to their Messiah. Herod was hostile toward the king of the Jews. Now, if you're here today, you're probably not hostile to Jesus, right? I mean, we could probably, if you were hostile, you probably wouldn't be here. But just because you're here doesn't mean you're here to worship God or worship Jesus. The chief priests and the scribes went to temple regularly. They, they knew the scriptures. They participated in temple worship. They, they better, if they, otherwise they couldn't be chief, chief priests or scribes. They went through the motions of worshiping God. That Jesus said this about them in Mark 7, 6 and 7. He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honor, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Indifference of God, indifference toward God and God's people is not good. And you know, there are a lot of things in life that can, that can breed indifference in the life of a believer. And it can be so subtle that you don't even notice it happening. God doesn't want us just to show up. He doesn't want us to show up and say, hey, we're worshiping. You know, we're here. I must worship God if I'm here. You know, I'll, I'll sing the songs. I'm worshiping. Yeah, you may be using your lips, but where is your heart? Is your heart right with God? Is your heart worshiping God? Because God is looking for true worship. Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Oh yeah, we gotta do the stuff, the outward stuff. That's the truth stuff. We gotta do that stuff. But there's gotta be true spiritual worship. It's got to come from the inside out. The wise men came seeking to worship the Savior King. And if you want to be wise, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to seek the King. Before you pray, remind yourself what you're doing. You are seeking to talk to the Savior King. When I pray, it's not about the words that I'm saying. I have a desire to speak to Jesus. I want to talk to my Savior. It's not about the things I want. It's about who he is, who I am, and making a connection between the two of us. I need to remind myself that it's not just me talking. He's listening. Did you know we could all pray at the same time and Jesus could hear us? Did you know that? That's some remark. I love that. Every Christian on earth could pray at exactly the same instant and Jesus would hear every prayer. And not just listen, he also responds. Ooh, we sometimes forget that one. Before you read your Bible, Remind yourself why you're doing it. Am I doing it just so I can check it off? 
You know, I got to read. Pastor Rick says I need to read my Bible every day. Yes, he does. Why? Because reading your Bible brings you into the presence of God. It allows you to see him. Maybe not with your physical eyes, but you'll see him with your spiritual eyes. If you are seeking him, the Bible says, if you seek me, God speaking, you will find me. How do we do that? One of the ways is in his word. You know, before you come to church, why do we come to church? Pastor Rick says we have to. No, he doesn't. You don't have to. Only if you want to be, you know, wise, you know, according to this. If you want to be spiritual, you want to, you know, get an A on your spiritual report card. No. We do it as an expression of faith. I believe, therefore I do. I believe God calls his people together to worship him. He doesn't tell us that, it, you know, that nothing we do affects God in any way. Us coming together and worshiping him, whether we're doing it in faith or, or doing it indifferently or even in hostility, that doesn't change God one bit. Who does it change? Us. I come as an expression of my faith, as a desire to, 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 to show God how much I love him. And there's something about doing it together that is more powerful than doing it separately. You know, we, we have the live stream, God bless you all that are watching online, and, and, and it's necessary. It's necessary for some people, they need it, and that's great, but it's not the same. It's not the same as being here with God's people. Why do we do it? We do it to express our faith. We do it to express our love. We do it to express our adoration. And we do it to minister to one another. We experience God together. And we can experience God in ways that we can't do alone or in our families or in our marriages. We can do it there. We experience God in all those places, but not the same as we do here. Listen. God is looking for worshipers. These wise men showed up, gave all of Jerusalem an opportunity to worship God. And it appears that, that for the most part, it was ignored. God is still looking for worshipers. Think he ought to find some here? I would say yes. Let's be worshipers. Heavenly Father, we do come to this time and thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. And as we have taken this time to, to get into your word and to seek you, we ask, Lord God, that you would, you would ask, you would help us to examine our hearts. We, we come, we all come for our own reasons. We all come with our, with our baggage. We all come with our, with our ideas, both wrong and right. We come with with um, our righteousness and our sin. We come with whatever it is. We come from wherever we come from to this place. And we gather together today, Lord, and, and what you would desire of us is that when we show up at this place that we have one purpose, and that is to seek our Savior King. And so I pray if there's anyone here and, and something about this message has, has touched their hearts, that, Lord, they would, 
that they would hear your spirit speaking to them. And, and I don't know that anybody here or watching or, or who will watch us later is actively hostile toward God. But I've known believers who've suffered tragedy, who've suffered misfortune, who've suffered um, hard things in life and gotten angry at God. And I pray if there's, there's anyone listening or here like that, that they would allow you, God, to minister to their hearts, to bring peace, and allow them to receive that, that cleansing that they need. That hard things happen. But God, you are not the cause of it. You're the cure of it. And so I pray if anyone is angry or hostile toward God, that they right this moment would, would let that go, would receive your love and grace and forgiveness and peace. And Lord, if, if anyone's heart might speak to them and, and, and say that there, 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 there may be indifference there, maybe something about my life, something I've allowed in my life has drawn me away from a pure worship, a, a, a true worship of you, God, that you would reveal that to them. And so many things can do that. Difficult circumstances can make us indifferent. Hobbies can make us indifferent. Gosh, so many different things can make us indifferent. Just slowly over time. Or maybe we never were true worshipers. It's your desire, Lord God, that we would repent of that, turn away from our, that indifference toward a true worship. And so I pray for the hearts of your people, if there's anyone here, anyone watching online, that they would recognize where there is indifference. That's not the way you created them to worship you. And so I pray, do a cleansing work in their hearts. Help them to repent of that. And Lord, even, even for those that, that may not be able to find indifference, we can, we can all worship you better and more. And we do that by getting to know you better. So, Lord, help us to pray. Help us to love your word. Help us, help us to long to fellowship with your people. Because we, Lord, know those, those are just some of the ways that we draw closer to you. So, so stir up our hearts, God. And Lord, if there's anyone here, anyone watching online who maybe never started a relationship with you, that today would be a good day to do that. Lord, that we would recognize that, that you came to save us. Every last one of us is here because you created us and you created us to be one of your people. But because sin exists, sin is real, and all of humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we need a Savior King. And so I pray, if there's anyone here who has never received Jesus as their Savior, that they would do so right this very moment. They would open their heart, repent of their sins, and believe that Jesus is real, that he is the Son of God, that he lived a real life, that he died for their sins, 
so that they might be able to spend all of eternity with him to share in his resurrection. And Lord, wherever these people are, wherever your people are, I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to be true worshipers, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And not only that, but we tell somebody else about it too. Because Lord, your desire is ultimately that all of humanity would come to know you. And so we pray. Minister to your people. We pray, Lord, that we would be wise enough to every day seek our Savior King and learn to live in his kingdom better and better every single day. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We lift this day up to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you all. We can pray with you. Please see Pastor Randy in the back or anyone else. Otherwise, God bless you. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.